0: Listen, I think about those words that said that the powers in this world, the spirits of this age, cower at his rule. You know, I wonder if we actually believe that sometimes. I mean, I know we believe that, but do we believe that? Like on Thursday, when you lose your job, do you believe that? Man, let let me just say this way. Would you be so honest to just raise your hand and say, yes, I have a stronghold that I would like Jesus to move. Would you just raise your hand so nobody feels alone today? Yeah, we all do, right? And so at the end of my talk today, I just want you to know what's coming. We're going to take communion together and I want you to be praying through this about what stronghold You need moved. You know, oftentimes we can just theorize about who God is and never make a difference in your life. You know, I was thinking, even just while we were singing about so many different things, and I want to show you a picture of what happened last Sunday night. Right. So we invited you to join us along with V3 to um, move a stronghold i just be honest with you, like, I thought we were raking leaves, but what was given to every single person there was joy. It was wild. It was wild. Jordan, do you have that photo? Did we get that? A hundred and five bags of leaves. I mean, it was wild. I've never seen so many leaves in my life. But our friend Sarah, who we met through God's dogs, which happens every Tuesday night, by the way, they need some help. So if you're free on Tuesday nights, please come. They would, uh, they were, there, they need some reinforcements. So uh, they need some uh, redeemer folks to jump in and serve. So if you're looking for something to do on Tuesday nights, that's a phenomenal way. We actually met Sarah who lives in this house through God's Dogs, and she was struggling and didn't have a job and was homeless. And Kenny prayed with her, and it was, I mean, that started the wheels. Like God moved some strongholds in Sarah's life. And, you know, we didn't see her for what, a couple months. And then she comes back. She's like, I got a house. I got a job. I moved in. And she's like, I got all these leaves. And she's like, I can't get these leaves out here, out of here. And uh, so it was just, I was just standing there and she was back in the hospital. She had complications from what she was struggling with. And she FaceTimed us and she just so excited, you know, and I was walking around with the phone showing her there were 20 people there raking leaves for her that never met her. I just thought to myself, like, that, is that not what the church is supposed to look like? And everybody was so happy. It was, it was just incredible. And so I just wanted to share that because as we think about this passage, the thing that kept hitting me all week as I was reading about the bread of life, what is the bread for? What What do we eat bread for? Jesus said, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But there's an implication there that you still need some bread. You can't live by bread. What? Alone. You still need the bread, right? Like we need food for sustenance. We, we need somebody to provide for our needs. That's lost on a lot of us because we're pretty self-sufficient. But truly, it's one phone call. It's one wrong decision and Any of us can be in that place. So I was just googling that and thinking about like, what do people want from life? Like, why why do you go to the job you have, the school you go to, the or stay home, or why do you have the friends you have? Why do you go to the church you attend? What like, what are we looking for in life? Why do we assemble all the things that we have in our life? What are we after? What is the world after? What are people Googling? What are people searching for? What are people jumping on chat GPT for that we haven't able to figure out on our own? In 2016, so this is a, a few years ago now, but they did a survey of 70, 700 people, just an informal survey of 700 people. And they were asking them, what are the top 10 things in life that you want, but you don't have? What are the the top 10 things out of 700 people that they want out of life that they don't have? Number 10 was passion. Their biggest challenge was overcoming feelings of ineptitude and negativity because of setbacks. I mean, is that not life, right? Like... Like we say it this way, like we'll we'll see a new Christian or maybe we'll see a little kid or I'll look at my six year old daughter who is the spice of life and just no negative bone in her body. And I wonder to myself, how long till life beats that out of her? How long till she realizes not everybody is kind? Not everybody is happy that there's war, that there's famine, that there and we could just go on. How long? Number nine was stability. Figuring out what to do next to keep me afloat and be a bridge to my later years in retirement. Well, I'm so worried about that that I can't enjoy now. Number eight, confidence. Feeling like I have something to offer now rather than feeling constantly as if I'm not ready and I need more training. And I think, did they never have a dad? Did they never have a mom who just believed in them? Probably not. Maybe not. Number seven, fulfillment, utilizing my potential in the best way possible. Number six, balance, balancing my need and desire for flexibility while still making enough money. Number five, joy. Joy, how to find the right role for me that will bring me joy in my work. Number four, peace. This is not surprising, is it, that we're going up the ladder in importance as we go? Number five, four, peace. Lack of clarity about who I am and what is my purpose. And if that is in the top five of what people are concerned about, there shouldn't be any space next to you. But our, I said last week, maybe we, we aren't known for the things that we ought to be known for. I'm not just talking about Redeemer, I'm talking about Capital C Church. Right? Are we so busy that we can't tell people that Jesus loves them? This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Yeah, maybe. Number three, freedom. Having the freedom to find my true purpose. People can't even go after their purpose. They can't even go after peace and joy because they don't have time. They don't, they're don't. they not free. That's a symptom, right? Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. Number two, money. Not having enough money to accomplish the things I want to do. Strapped. And number one, people's biggest challenge. Happiness. Not even knowing what I want to do. But you didn't come here today to feel bad about yourself. But we have to lay the foundation, right? Because I think this has been true since humanity began, right? Jesus put two people in the garden and within what? The first relationship we had sin. (laughs) We have a liar. We have an adversary. We have a Satan who comes and says, actually, you don't need God. You can be what? Just like God. And we've been trying ever since. I tried all week. Failed miserably. But we do, we build our little kingdom and we lord over our little things and we fancy that we have all of our stuff together. We'd probably replace the word stuff with something else, but I'm a pastor, so I can't. That was a joke. Relax. You're like. But think about it. Romans one twenty for since the creation of the world from the very start. From the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Without excuse for what? To taste and see that the Lord is good. Last week, we asked the question, do you believe that God's goodness is running after you? Today we ask, what are you you looking for in life? In John chapter 6, there are large crowds pursuing Jesus because of the signs he was performing. They were looking for the more out of life and they thought that Jesus seemed to be providing it. What a sign that you would feed 5,000 people from one boy's lunch. That's epic and then they find out, just in a few verses, they couldn't find Jesus. And it turns, like, turns out, oh, you were walking on water. Man, this just gets better. And you provided us a meal. Wow. What a sign. Jesus, what sign are you going to give? They, they come and say, Jesus, what sign are you going to give us? <laughs> that's really the question they're asking him. But it makes me wonder, what is a sign? Theologically speaking, a sign... Is a miracle that points to a person. And I think this is where we get hung up at times, right? C.S. Lewis said that a miracle is an interference with nature by a supernatural power. But often we get so caught up with the nature part of it that we forget about the supernatural part of it. These people were coming and Jesus is going to point out to them. You were so fascinated that you got to eat till you were full, that you missed that God was in front of you providing for your needs. It's the classic can't see the forest through the trees, right? Like God's here, but I'm really fascinated that he multiplied this little guy's lunch. That was pretty cool. And we do this all the time. Right. Like we'll debate who the greatest basketball player is of all time and totally miss the greatness that we saw. Right. And that's just one simple thing. We'll we'll talk about stuff like Coke and Pepsi instead of just enjoying Coke and Pepsi. Zero, of course. But I hear that's not healthy either. So just leave me be. Leave me in my ignorance. I was Googling that, too, just about miracles. Like, how do we how do we know? How do we know? Right. And and I I stumbled across the story of St. Augustine and St. Augustine was a skeptic. He actually changed his mind about miracles from that of a suspicious teacher to that of an eyewitness. Augustine wrote that the bones of St. Stephen, the martyr, you know, that story in Acts. So we're going all the way back where these bones of his were taken on tour through Africa, where Augustine lived. And many people went and met the ship that was carrying the bones. Augustine writes that a blind woman begged to be taken to the bones and she was taken to the ship, but the guard would only give her one flower that was laying on the bones of Stephen, on the casket of Stephen only would give her one flower. She took the flower and put it on her eyes and her blindness was instantly healed. Now, what do you do with that story when you hear that? Because what happened to me when I read it it is like, Augustine, that's legit. Like one of my favorites. I believe that guy. Changed the history of our faith as a a witness to the things that we believe. (laughs) But over here, (laughs) I'm like... come on, man. That, That had to be changed over the years, right? My inner skeptic. It gets worse. Augustine reports that another man was instantly healed of cancer when he carried a bone of Stephen. A priest dead and being bound up for burial was brought back to life when his friend laid a bone of Stephen's on his body. Augustine wrote that he personally witnessed still more cures that took place through Stephen's bones. In fact, Augustine went on to say these. And I I think this will be on the screen for you. Were I, and this is going to sound familiar to you, to record the miracles of healing which were wrought in the district by means of Stephen, they would fill many volumes. That should trigger your mind to remember what John said about our Lord. If I was to write down all the things that I saw Jesus do. The world could not contain the volumes of stories that I would tell. So we get to our story in John 6 as a skeptic. Just be honest with you. We get to our stories of skeptics. We hear the story of the 5,000. We hear the story of Jesus walking on water. And it's fine for us because we've heard it so many times. But I wonder if you walked in here today actually believing the words that you saying That I have a God who has the authority to move my strongholds. We'll sing stuff like we believe that he's still doing miracles. But I wonder of us, how many of us actually believe that he's still doing miracles. Jesus has fed 5,000, actually more like 15 or 20,000 people with one lunch. He's walked on water. It's no wonder the crowd is digging these signs and wonders, right? Like, I'm sure you're thinking right now, I mean, if Jesus showed up and took your spot here... And started doing some of that. I'm in. I'm in. Apparently not though. As we'll see. The crowd wasn't done with Jesus. He goes out. He walks on water. Gets in the boat. They're not done. They go looking for him the next day. And in John 6.25. It says this. It says when they found him on the other side of the lake. They asked. Rabbi. When did you get here? (laughs) Don't you love that about the Bible? "Ah, Fancy meeting you here. (laughs) You're like. You definitely stalked me. But here's where the story takes a turn. Because it's pretty epic to this point. Jesus is doing amazing things and everybody loves a good miracle, right? I mean, I would love to tell you that if you walked up here and I touched your forehead and you fell over, that everything would be better. And I actually believe that happens sometimes. I think God can do that. Everybody loves a good miracle. Who who among us hasn't asked God to intervene on our behalf or a loved one's behalf or a situation in the world that was bigger than us? In Citigroup this week, we studied about imprecatory prayer where we look at the justice of God and we say, God, I need you to act in places where I can't like human trafficking, like abortion, like fill in the blank. They're just they're bigger than me, God, and I need you to do something because we can't let justice, as the scripture says, Flow like a river. How do we solve our, uh, how do we solve racism? Let justice flow like a river. We need God to show up because we're not doing well. How do we stop treating women poorly? We need God to show up. And then we need to do our part, right? And, and we could pick any pet issue, right? And we could go after it with the same mentality. But the reality is, is we need God. We need God. And so, so here we are. I mean, think about it. Jesus did choose to do the miracle, didn't he? And that's an important fact, because what Jesus says to them might make you make you think that the miracle wasn't important. But it obviously is. He chose to do the sign. He still chose to do the sign. But look how Jesus responds to the crowd seeking him out in verse Twenty-six says, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So here's a crowd of people. And think about it. All the things are true. Every face in that crowd had a name. Every face in that crowd had a story. Every face in that crowd was somebody who, that i read the text to you earlier was part of the everyone who looks to the sun will have life. Every one of them was included in that everyone. In fact, if you look at other scriptures in Matthew 16:4, Jesus said this about people looking for signs and wonders. He said a wicked An adulterous generation looks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. So how do we reconcile that there's a God who can and does do miracles with a God who says, if you search out a miracle, you're wicked. What does that mean? Jesus takes a step further, of course, in John 6, 27, back to our story. And he tells you why that's important. Look at verse 27. Do not work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Think about it. If Jesus was to heal you or to move that stronghold... Would it draw you closer to him or push you farther away from him? Because the Bible I read talks about our circumstances. It talks about things like Psalm 23, where it doesn't say that God will take that. that the stronghold being moved doesn't mean that it goes away. It means that God steps into it with you, right? Because that's what Psalm 23 says, it says, I will prepare a table for you in the presence of your enemies. What happens when you come to the table For dinner. You rest. For that brief moment in time, the world stops. Now, if you have kids that last about one minute, and then you're like, I'm full, I want to go play. But for that brief moment, the table is where we stop and rest and we receive So Jesus is, in fact, setting a table here for this crowd to recognize what they actually need. They didn't actually need God to do a sign and wonder so that they could be entertained and have a great buffet. They needed something more than that. And I'm actually glad that they clap back at Jesus here. Because it's it's going to help us, right? Because it's in their interaction with him that we get a taste of the truth that is better than the finest meal you can think of. What is the food that endures to eternal life? L- look at verse 28. This is what they say back to Jesus when he says all that. He said, They say, what must we do to do the works that God requires? Just tell us what we have to do and we will do it. how many of you know that's not the way it works? Look at what Jesus says in verse 29. Jesus answered, the work of God is this. If you walked in here today and said, if God would just tell me what to do, I'll do it. But look at what he, look at what he says. The work of God is this, to believe in the one that he sent. I feel like that's too simple. That's just too simple. They're amazed that Jesus could walk on water. They ate till their stomachs were full, thousands of them. And then Jesus tells them in verse 27 not to work for the food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which he will give. Now they want to know what his expectations are of them. And it makes so much sense to us because we live by the saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. Our culture is built on that. You're going to work for what you get. It seems they're willing to do anything to have their stomach full of bread that lasts forever. And so verse 30, they just double down. Look at verse 30. It says, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate. And this is so important. Don't miss this. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Think about it. What is the will of God? It's to believe in the one that he sent. And so watch the connection here, right? Watch the connection of bread. They were looking back on another sign. Where they were in slavery in Egypt. And God miraculously rescues them from Egypt. And they would have turned around and saw their enemy literally coming across a dry riverbed with walls of water up on the side. And then they get out... The enemy gets in and the water comes back and God rescues them. And within moments, they're complaining that they're hungry. You see, because what we talk about a lot is that it's one thing for God to take us out of Egypt, right? But how much longer does it take for God to get Egypt out of us? You see, our sin plays a massive role and whether or not we can come to the table and rest. So we're going to take communion here in a moment. But I want you to process what's happening here. They, they are looking for the sign from heaven. And he was standing right in front of them. And I, and I wonder if we're just like that. Do we have so much Egypt in us? That when we step into this place... We just wish we had some bread. I, I, I can't answer for you, but I can tell you that there are so many Sundays where I come in here and I worry about the stuff that's around here and I forget about you and I forget about God. And I'm running around trying to gather bread to feed you. When You. And I already have the bread of life. This building could fall down right now. And we'd be fine. John's gospel is ordered by seven names and seven signs. Seven is the Hebrew number of completion. In the Hebrew Bible what we usually call the Old Testament. Catch this. There are seven compound names for God. Names like Yahweh, my healer, Yahweh, my helper, Yahweh, my banner. And we could go on. But the first of these names in the Hebrew Bible is this. And I'll put it on the screen for you. Yahweh Yireh. You know what it means? The Lord will provide. Jesus is telling this crowd and he's telling you and I, a crowd that is enamored by the signs and wonders. Enamored by the visible. <laughs> that there is one bread that satisfies. There's no to-do list to follow. There's no investment to make. Just believe. And you might be wondering, like, what does believe look like? Uh, This is so amazing. This all comes so full circle because back in John six, four, at the very beginning of this story, this all comes full circle in one little detail. It says this in John six, four, the Jewish Passover festival was near. The Passover was near. Well, what's the Passover? Passover. It's when they were about to leave Egypt, but it didn't look like they were going to be able to leave Egypt. And God performs these miraculous signs to get the king who thought he was God to let God's people go. And he used Moses, who had a stutter, to bring his brother Aaron so they could go together to tell this king to speak truth to power that there was a God who he could not see that was going to free his people. And we could stop at frogs. Or we can progress to death. And so as the story goes, of course, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, is not willing to do that. And so the very last sign was the Passover. Where God says, anybody who believes in me needs to sacrifice a lamb... And they need to prepare that lamb and they need to eat of that lamb and they need to eat of unleavened bread. And then they need to take that blood and wipe it on the doorpost. And then God sent one of his angels and whoever had blood on their doorpost, they did not lose their firstborn child. Everyone who did not have blood lost their firstborn child that night. You say, why would God do that? Because God's sitting outside of what you and I can see. And the thing that's more significant than life itself is what you do with life. Do you believe? And so fast forward to this moment. Jesus knows I'm on my way to the cross. I'm on my way so that that never has to happen again. And isn't it amazing that when Jesus comes to the night before he was betrayed by Judas. That he brings his disciples to what? A table. And you know what he grabs at the table? What does he grab? Bread. And he starts to rip that apart. And you know what he reminds them? I am the bread of life. No one comes to the Father but through me. My body will be broken. My blood will be shed so that you can sit at the table and relax in the presence of your enemies. Make no mistake about it. There's an enemy after you. There are many spiritual forces of evil. And they are very real. But you have the bread of life. Here's the crazy part. I just, I just want to read you the end of the story before we come to the table together. Because here's the crazy part. The crowd still rejects Jesus. And I just want you to know that when you accept Christ and when you surrender to Christ and he gives you eternal life, he says that it's a narrow road. But then he also says that he can handle it. Because he's not willing that anyone should perish, but that all would come to eternal life. And so he's big enough to handle that. But, but I want you to listen to this. They saw the signs. They heard the sermons. And they reject him. Look at verse 53. And I'll do this quickly and then we'll come to the table together. Jesus said to them very truly, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Listen to this. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever lives and feeds on this bread will live forever. Drop to verse 60 on hearing it. Many of his disciples said this. Listen, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You see, it's no different for you and I, because Jesus would say stuff like you got to lay down your life to find it. Jesus would say stuff like you need to crucify your flesh daily and follow me. You need to pick up your cross daily and follow me. Listen, look at this, verse 61. Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this. Now, mind you, this isn't even just the crowd now. This has moved to the inner circle. Even the, even the disciples are grumbling. And Jesus asks them this, does this offend you? Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? Which they would, by the way. It's coming. The Spirit gives life and the flesh counts for how much? How much? Nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. Friends, don't sit here and be that one who does not believe. Don't be that one who sits here and does not believe what has always been inside of you to know and believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which would not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That's happening in our own culture. It's becoming too difficult to believe the things that Jesus told us to believe. (laughs) So Jesus asked the question of the twelve It went from 15,000 to the disciples, and now we're down to 12. Now we're down to 12, and look at what he asked the 12, and I would say, he's asking you. You do not want to leave too, do you? And then Simon Peter, God love him course, it's Peter that answers. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and know that you are the holy one of God. So, friend, as we step to the table to receive of his body and his blood, it will clearly be a subpar wafer that's hard to get out of a piece of foil. And some subpar juice that's even harder to get out without spilling. I'm sorry. I love you. It's going to be okay. But those little signs. First Corinthians 10 says are not just Signs. It specifically says that when you come to the table as the body of Christ, one body, we are all one because we have one Lord, Jesus Christ. First Corinthians 10. That you are participating in the body and blood of Jesus. So we come back to the question I started with. What is the stronghold In your life that only God can move. See, because we waste time thinking about bread. When we have the bread of life. So when you come to the table, when you receive these and Pastor Jerome and Pastor Tim are going to be up at the front and they're we're going to ask you to come forward. Because we believe you have to participate With your body. Not that that makes any difference in your eternal standing, but we think it's important that we recognize with our body as we come and receive that we don't do, we receive. It's going to be handed to you. This is for the forgiveness of your sins. You are forgiven because Jesus, the bread of life, Body was broken. Blood was shed so that you could live. Friend, don't settle for the subpar experience of the bread of this world. When Jesus is available. Lord, to whom shall we go? Listen, you might be sitting here and you are such a skeptic of the things of God. I would just say, to whom shall you go? To what other answer in this world is there? There isn't one. To whom shall we go? You, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. So I'm going to have Kevin come up and just play music over you. Art is a beautiful thing. It just opens our hearts, softens our hearts. I'm going to ask Pastor Tim and Pastor Jerome to come up. They're going to each just hold a basket over here. On each side, and as Kevin plays, I just want to encourage you, begin praying First Corinthians 11 tells us that we should examine our heart that there is a way that we could come to the table focused more on the things of this world than the things of God, and that we ought to start there and repent of that and then Look to Jesus. I am the bread of life. The will of the Father is that all who look to the Son will have life. If you're a follower of Jesus, I just want to encourage you at your convenience to rise from your spot. And come up on either side and receive the bread of life. If you're not a Christian... To whom will you go? Who else has the bread of life? The Bible makes it very simple. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic way to come to Jesus. What does the scripture say? It says all who look to the Son will have eternal life. other scriptures say? If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Yourself devil the darkness of this world you'll be given life eternal life so I don't know what the strongholds are in front of you but I do know that Jesus is preparing a table for you in the presence of your enemies right now and he wants to participate with you Revelation tells us that behold he stands at the door and knocks receive him into your table. Why don't you stand with me, just everybody where you're at. And you can come on down and receive the bread of life. And I would just encourage you to go back to your seat and we'll take it together in just a moment. But come participate. Come find life at the table. restriction in the back we have gluten free bread so if that would help you I want that to be a distraction for you today you can go back to Mallory at Info Central and grab that that would be better for you it says that in First Corinthians 11 then to this body that he was one with in Corinth, that he loved, wrote these words under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, So, for I received from the Lord what I also pass on to you, and I do that for you even now as I stand before you and read his says the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and I just want you to encourage you to take it in your hand and feel it I want You to rub that in your fingers and know that the body of Christ is broken for you that that bread that brings eternal life just like a loaf of bread has to go through the fire Jesus went through the fire for you. That just like the wheat that was blowing in the wind had to be cut down. It had to be taken to a mill and ground beyond recognition, like on the cross, beaten beyond recognition. The Bible says in First Corinthians 11 that He took bread and then He broke it. I just encourage you in your fingers right now that you would just hold that up to your ear and in the silence of this table, just listen to that as you break it. That it was his body broken for you. And then scripture says, and when he had given thanks, which we've been doing all morning. Broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You can take the body. Thank you. Verse twenty-five says. That's the Passover. Jesus was saying, no longer will you bring a lamb. No longer will you travel to the Jewish festival of Passover because I'm going to go to the cross and when my body is broken and my blood is shed, I'm going to stretch my arms out in love for the entire world and I'm going to utter, it is finished. so we hold the wine, the blood. We participate in his blood together, supernaturally in the new covenant. The Bible says this, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance. I love this verse 26 and we're going to do that together so the rest of the band's going to come up we're already behind me looking. they're so good but listen to what verse 26 says whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes and ultimately that is your hope today Jesus said I am the bread of life and we're still looking for a sign to declare to you that that sign will come Jesus is coming again as real as your next breath I don't know what that's going to look like but I'm pretty fired up about it here's what else I know that Jesus is willing to prepare that table for you the so what I want to invite you to do now is to stand and sing after that first communion table, that first Eucharist table, that first sacrament. Where Jesus was sitting with his disciples. It says they went outside and they went on a mountain and they sung a hymn. It's too hot to go outside, we don't have a mountain. So we're just going to sing in here if that's okay. But why did they do that? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, when you've been given the body and the blood of Jesus, I don't, I can't think of a better thing to do than of an overflow of the heart that's been filled with the Spirit of God, to speak. And the best way we know how to do that is to sing. So, I want to invite you, as you pray and as you sing and as you sit at the table with Jesus today, before we release you back to your mission field, I just want to invite you to rest. presence of your enemies. Come on, let's sing this like we believe it.